In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the 20th Sunday after Pentecost is from Isaiah chapter 45. The Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whom I hold by his right hand, in order to subdue nations before him and disarm kings, to open doors and gates before him, so that they will not be shut. I will go ahead of you and level the hills. I will smash the bronze gates and cut the iron bars. I will give you treasures that are in dark places and hidden hordes, so that you will know that I, the Lord, the God of Israel, am calling you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, whom I have chosen. And I have called you by your name and given you a title, although you don't know me. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I strengthen you, although you don't know me. So people from the east to the west may learn there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no one else. I make light and create darkness. I make happiness and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistles from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you peace and grace. We always have to thank God for you, my fellow Christians. It is the right thing to do because your faith is growing wonderfully, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing, so much so that we've been boasting about you to in churches, in God's churches, how you endure and trust no matter how much you're persecuted and made to suffer. It shows how God judges righteously. He means to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. It really is just for God to pay back with suffering those who make you suffer and to give relief to you who suffer and to us when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a blaze of fire to take vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who will not obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished by being taken away from the Lord and from the glory of his power to be destroyed eternally. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his holy people and admired by all who believed, you did believe the truth we told you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Praise to you, O Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to trap him with a question. They sent their disciples with Herod's men to say to him, Teacher, we know you're honest and teach God's way and don't care what others think because you don't favor any special persons. Now tell us, what do you think? Is it right to pay a tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their wickedness, Jesus asked, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin with which the tax is paid. They brought him a denarius 
Whose head is this and whose inscription? He asked them. Caesar's, they said. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, he told them, and to God what is God's. They were amazed to hear this. Then they let him alone and went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our sermon text is our Old Testament lesson. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Amen. Over the last two months, I've been seeing news reports about law enforcement operations that have rescued several children. During August through September, U.S. Marshals, in conjunction with local and federal officers, launched several operations to find missing and exploited kids. They rescued close to 100. Some of these children were runaways who got caught up in situations they could not escape, and others were abducted. A number were being exploited and trafficked and didn't even realize that such was happening to them. These children had been taken away from their homes, and they were living in captivity until the lawful authorities came in and rescued them. This is not unlike the Israelites and us. Now we see this in our Old Testament lesson today. When Isaiah preaches this, the Israelites living in the south still remain in their homes and land. But God has foretold of their eventual captivity in the land of Babylon. Because they didn't listen to God, they will end up living out their days in a foreign land. But God does not plan to leave them in that land. He plans to deliver them out of that land in trouble. And here in Isaiah, some 150 years before these events, God prophesies what will happen. He tells what he will do. With many people having been exiled, trapped in Babylon and unable to return to their homeland, this prophecy would hold out hope. God names Cyrus, a future ruler of Medo-Persia, who comes and conquers Babylon practically overnight. God opens the doors and gates of Babylon to him and he takes over. He obtains the hidden treasures of this and other nations. God does this so that Cyrus would know God and would call him by his name. He does it for the sake of his people, whom will be permitted from this time forth to return to their land and to reestablish their homes, cities, and communities. And he does this so that the whole world might see this work and know that there is only one God, our triune God, whom they should worship. After all, what other God has declared something as specific as this 150 years beforehand? And none of the hearers of the prophecy made it a reality. What God can do this? What God has the power to create well-being and calamity, light and darkness? The only true God shows us that he alone does this. He alone has the power and might. He alone controls and manages the future and no one else. This fact alone should give us hope and encouragement. God is in control of the future. He can and will direct events. Nothing is out of his control, even if it looks like it is. 
Now, surely, if God had not told them about their exile in Babylon and their later rescue, the Israelites might have thought God wasn't in control. They might have considered events out of his hands. But with his prophecy of what will be and his warnings of punishment and promises of deliverance, God shows them and teaches them what he is, that he is ultimately in control. He is truly God and ruler. And there is no other. As we consider this passage today, we should ponder both those things which enslave us in captivity and how we don't always live our lives like we believe that God is in control. Sin is a slave master. We get enticed by the lies and promises of good things from sin, only to find that we have become servants and slaves to it. And those good things become a little tarnished. Once we've engaged in any sin, a time or two, it's, well, it is easier the next time and the next time. And this process continues until we find that we're caught up in the sin, unable to escape. As we get entrapped in the sin, we either embrace the sin or we feel helplessly quartered without another option. Sin convinces us that there is nowhere to turn and we must follow it. But not only that, our desires turn toward the sin and our hearts begin to grow cold and hard. That numbness works to keep us trapped. Only Christ works against our numb and closed off hearts. Only God delivers us from this captivity. Christ opens our eyes to our captivity. His goodness stands out against our evil. Our cold heart is seen against his compassion and self-sacrifice. Jesus doesn't stand for injustice and evil, but he seeks to save and rescue man from the power of evil. He delivers us from the harm evil does to us and the evil and harm we do. It is in his love for all people, even his enemies, that we see and know God. We see who our God is. We see what kind of God he is. We come to know God. God prophesied and raised up Cyrus so that all people might recognize and know God. Jesus is also anointed for this purpose, but in a much greater way. For in Jesus, we see God in action in our flesh. We see how God is willing to do what is necessary to save us and redeem us. God is willing to do what is needed to love you and me. He sacrifices his life to free you from sin and evil. He uses the evil of our hearts to bring about his death on the cross. And then he upends our sin with that very death. His perfect death delivers a death blow to sin and evil. Victorious, Jesus rises again. When it seemed God had lost and the Messiah was overthrown, the whole situation turned upside down and Christ came out victorious. It is following his death and resurrection that we see that he was really and truly in control the whole time. He rules over light and darkness, peace and calamity. He worked the events of history to die at the right time. Herod couldn't kill him as a baby. The villagers of his hometown couldn't manage to throw him off the hillside of the town, nor could those in Jerusalem ready 
to stone him, managed to find him. He slipped away from all attempts until the Garden of Gethsemane, when he willingly allowed those present to arrest him. God arranged and worked it all for the benefit of us. Thus, in Jesus, we see both our slavery and that God is truly in charge of his creation. And in Jesus, we know both his forgiveness and his deliverance. For you have been rescued from your sins and evil deeds so that you no longer have to live in them, repeat them, or be trapped by them. You have been delivered from them. They have been put to death. You're free now. By virtue of your baptism, you have been set free. For you have a new life apart from the life of sin. You are rescued from your captivity and returned to your proper and true home with God. You are once again his child and no longer a slave to sin. No longer are you captive to your evil desires. You are free. But not only that, you are forgiven for all the times you have given in to sin, for all the times you have let it rule over you, for all the times you bowed to it and gave it reign in your life. You are forgiven for the evil and vile deeds you have done. You are forgiven for hardening your heart toward God and His Word. You are forgiven for standing against God and for not believing He was in control or that he could deliver you. In spite of all your sin, God has loved you and rescued you, washing away your sin and the evil and making you his own beloved child. He has given you a place in his holy nation, among his holy people, for he has cleansed you of your sins and made you his beloved child. And so he welcomes you today to his table, where he affirms you are his, and where he confirms that your sins are indeed forgiven. Here he restores you to be his precious creation that can walk with him and commune with him. Here he brings you and me back into fellowship with him so that we can eternally abide with him in peace and security, never to be torn apart again, but to be raised to live forever in his presence, eating at his table, the peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. All readings prior to the sermon come from an American translation of the Bible.